place it comfortably. So good evening everyone in the room and on Zoom. What I'd like to talk about tonight is about meditation and mindfulness and appropriate action in the world. And as a baseline for it, um, many of you probably be familiar with that saying, which is actually the um, uh, is associated with twelve-step uh, uh, programs, you know, for alcohol and drug addiction, um, which is um, accept the things you can't change, and change the things you can change, and wisdom is knowing the difference between the two. Um, it's a great saying. Uh, a lot of people think it comes from St Francis of Assisi, but it doesn't. It actually came from a 19th century German clergyman. Anyway, it's a very wise saying. And it's a baseline for what I want to talk about today because meditation and mindfulness can often be, often be um, promoted as being, um, being accepting of the situation um, being non, non-judgmental, not thinking or not critically thinking about things. And that's only half the story. Like, a, like with that saying, the 12-step program saying, accept the things that you can't change, you know, and a lot of Dharma practice helps us to do that at a, in, in the very way that we live our lives. But it's a misunderstanding of Zen, at least, to think um, that it doesn't address the second part of that statement about changing the things that you can change and how you may go about doing that. There's a very interesting book I just finished reading and I've been meaning meaning to read it for a long time and it's called um, McMindfulness by Aron Purser and um, I would recommend it to anyone who... um, who teaches mindfulness or uses mindfulness therapy. And um, it's a very, it, it's, I've been a critic of secular mindfulness myself in my own um, publication, but this guy's even harsher. <laughs> um, but what he's basically saying <coughs> is that mindfulness and meditation can be used um, as a pacifier, you know, so that you just accept things as they are. Um, you become compliant, you become non-judgmental, you switch off your critical thinking. But like in the way it's used, like mindfulness programs are used in different commercial industrial settings, it doesn't address the fact that suffering to people of employees can come from the institution. It's not just something that it's an internal problem. It comes from poor working conditions, exploiting workers, Um, unfair bullying practices and things like that. And if those things are not addressed, it's not addressing the whole problem and it's putting the responsibility on individuals to cope with difficult circumstances, but it's not addressing the cause of some of those circumstances. Now, when you look at meditation within a Buddhist context, um, the cause of suffering is considered to be greed, hatred and ignorance, you know, um, grasping, avoidance um, or just zoning out. So not only our first point of call, of course, as Zen practitioners, is to see how greed, hatred and ignorance operates within me 
right, to acknowledge that like we do in that first atonement sutra, start here, right? But if greed, hatred and ignorance affects all people, it also affects people collectively through institutions or through nation states, you know, or different classes of people, you know, oppressed, oppressing classes and oppressed classes, right? So there is collective greed and this collective hate and this collective ignorance that actually is the cause of suffering on a more global community scale. It's not just something that's to do with the individual. And when we consider that Zen is a path of the bodhisattva, you know, you're working towards not just um, ending your own suffering, but the suffering of others, then it also requires not just looking after yourself, but being aware of the suffering of others and being appropriately, taking action against it appropriately, right, rather than just being passive. For instance, in um, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh's um, Order of Interbeing, um, one of the vows is about challenging institutions or people that, are, that live beyond what they need to, need to just to get more and more riches and are greedy for it. Not just to be passive about it, but to actually challenge those things. So I don't want to make this all about politics and political activism because it's, what I'm talking about is our looking at how we practice within our personal lives as well as if we want to in a, in a broader community sense or a political sense. But not everyone's political, but we all live personal lives. And um, this is where assertiveness comes in as something that's very important for people's well-being. Um, and I believe that when mindfulness is taught, particularly when it's taught to children in schools, that it should be taught alongside assertiveness training, right? And then instead of meditation just being used as this little bliss bubble that you go into and you feel okay and you can withdraw from the world and be non-judgmental, etc., that's fine because we know that it works, right, to calm and so on. But if that's all it does, it can lead to people just... Meditation can just be a, a pacifier, like, do you know a dummy is a pacifier for babies? Then it just becomes a pacifier. Uh, and I think children in particular, but people generally also need to have um, a sense of being able to assert themselves in the world and speak about their own suffering that's either being caused to them or other groups of people or whatever. Um, so it can be used on that that personal level or it can be used in a more wider public level. But as a psychologist, with people coming to see me dealing with couple issues and family issues and employee issues as well, or employer issues, um, nearly everyone who comes to see me gets a good dose of assertiveness training. Uh, and, um, and I think it's very important that people feel empowered to speak out. But when you look at assertiveness training, what it's looking at is really, which is compatible with a Zen perspective, a Buddhist perspective, a non-violent way of being outspoken. And the two extremes that people can get into is that people are either aggressive in their outspokenness, 
name-calling, rude, putting other people down, um, being hateful or greedy in the way that they're doing it. Um, or the other extreme is that they're passive and they just do nothing. They just ignore, turn a blind eye, get on with their own life and don't say anything, I, either in families or, again, in, in public life. And neither of those are helpful or skillful things to do. And what assertiveness training teaches us to do is to learn to find our voice to say what it is that's bothering us in a way that's neither aggressive or passive, but is constructive right, and leads to some kind of solution. And it's very different from someone who's just chronically complaining all the time. Someone who's just complaining all the time only does what's referred to as negative assertion. I don't like this, I don't like that, I don't like this, I don't like that. You can always find a lot of things that you don't like. But positive assertion is actually stating what you do want and what the solution is and being solution-focused. So all of those principles of assertiveness are very important alongside meditation training or mindfulness training. So we have a holistic way of not just being with ourselves, but being with the experience of community and interbeing in the world and addressing um, greed, hatred and ignorance when we see it arise in institutions or governments or whatever. Um, but first, to be able to do that with integrity, we've got to start here and recognise how we do it, not just pointing the finger out there. And that's the difference between being woke and being awake. Right? The woke movement doesn't seem to show much self-reflection in terms of their own greed, hatred or ignorance about how you can call people out there to get, you know, one-upmanship going. And it's a power issue, right? But when you recognise your own grasping and aversion and ignorance, you come from a much more humble place. You know that you're actually... You're responsible for doing these things yourself. Right? So it's got a very different flavour to it. So meditation is not just about non-judgment and acceptance, that's, it's there, but it's half of it. And if we were to really live our lives in a bodhisattva spirit, it requires learning these other skills of, of non-violent assertiveness, uh, either in our own life or in our own personal lives or in, <coughs> in public issues, if, if we're moved in that way. And this is not about being um, taking a political position or a a party political position or being um, tribal political. Um, but it is a matter of living in a democracy, right? If you, if you live in a democracy, then you have a birthright to be outspoken and, and vote against things that you don't like uh -huh. and you're not shot down or put in a prison for doing it. Um, so this is about these principles that are consistent with democratic values, you know, that we have a right to be outspoken about, um, about greed and hatred and ignorance as we see it on a wider scale, um, as working, well as working with it um, within ourselves. So to come back to that saying that I started with as a way of finishing off, do you know, that about, it's about accepting the things you can't change and changing the things that you can. And there's a lot of things that people can change if they're collectively 
um, outspoken about it in a non-violent way. 